firstly, can I just say thank you so much for inviting us on your weekend. Um, I, like, I just want to make a comment. When we came in yesterday, the vibe was just so lovely. It was so lovely to be a bunch, amongst a bunch of people who so clearly love one another and so clearly you could almost feel it, like you came into the room and you could almost feel it straight away. And uh, I just want to say that's really special, really, really special. Um, so when you come into a church, you sometimes get these vibes, and the vibes are really, really good here. So uh, just to, to feed that back to you. Um, in terms of what we've been doing, I'm the support act today, which is, uh, which is, <laughs> which is wonderful. I'm really excited about that. Um, we, we're currently, as we've said before, we're planting a church into Lancaster. We're just a baby church, really. We're two years old, so we're the same age. I know this is, you're going to work this out. It's stupid timing of ours, but we're the same age as our son. So our son was born around about the same time as the church was planted. Um, and we started off maybe about five years ago with six or so people. And, and God's just grown us and added to us um, and we, we had a Front Edge Sunday last week, which I'm not sure where people heard of Front Edge. It's a, like where you get sent an evangelist. We were sent Adrian Holloway, which was absolutely amazing. We saw five people saved, and we saw a number of healings, which were absolutely fantastic. So we're kind of on cloud nine about church planning at the moment, but, it, but it's tough. It's really tough work. So we've been going at that for quite a time. Um, Katie is a qualified teacher, an RE teacher in secondary school, which is currently at home with the little ones. Um, I'm, I work full-time in, in secular work. I, I also work as an accountant. Uh, any accountants in the house? Yeah. Come on, yeah. See, I knew I was on solid ground, having sat down with Dean this morning and gone, you're an accountant too. How exciting. <laughs> um, yeah, so anyway, so maybe, maybe the three of us, it's Ben, isn't it? Yeah, Ben, Dean and I can hang out tonight, talk about, you know how we like to account for stuff and, you know, <laughs> whatever floats our boats. <laughs> yeah, it's, um, it's, definitely, um, it's definitely slightly more boring than the kingdom, isn't it, and planting churches, that's for sure. But, um, but, well, it's a necessary evil that pays the bills. So I'm going to move on today. What I want to talk about is I want to talk about masculinity. I'm going to reflect on a few things that, that Katie's brought up. But uh, the, thing, the kind of... <laughs> I want to start at a point of, again, you shouldn't start of apologising, but this is a huge topic, right, and it is like nailing jelly to a wall. Defining masculinity, which I'm, I'm going to tell you what I'm going to try and do, is hopefully not what I'm going to try and, what, exactly what I'm going to do today, because as soon as you start trying to define it, you run into massive problems, and I just want to say right from the outset that God's design was to make men and to make women. So we read in Genesis 1, verse 27, so God created man in his own image, in the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So I just want to frame the whole thing by saying, whatever we try and work out with this, it is so mind-boggling and so complex, but that is because there's a mind-boggling, awesome God behind this design, right? It's not easy to label, but do you know what? Lots of things aren't. It's not easy to work out that God's sovereign, is he? We know it, but what does that actually mean? How does that outwork in every decision? How does this look? What does it mean that God is infinitely powerful? You know, we, we know that, but yet the application of it is sometimes really quite extraordinary to try and suss out. So I'm going to start with, um, someone posed a bit of a um, uh, philosophical uh, dilemma to me earlier. Has anyone heard that, that one where they say, if a tree falls in the woods when no one's around, does it make a noise? Someone said to me, if a husband speaks in the woods when no one else is around, is he still wrong? 
So I'm going to start with that one. <laughs> so, okay, then. Why, 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 why are we bothering doing this? Why is it necessary to talk about male and female? Well, to, to put it very bluntly, there's an absolute crisis in masculinity at the present time. I know I'm talking to people who know this, but for every one woman in prison in the UK, there are 12 men in prison. Guys, there's something that we've not quite got right. So 50% of marriages that are happening now will end in divorce, is what statistics say. So that means that one for every one person who grows up with a daddy at home, there's one that grows up without one. More children are being raised in fatherless homes than ever before, and statistical um, facts show that in fatherless homes, you are more likely to have social problems such as teenage pregnancy, you're more likely to go to prison, you're more likely to not get a higher education than if dad is at home. Now, this is about family. We're going to do it much wider than this. And I, I want to say, we, we talked about the feminist movement earlier, and the feminist movement has undoubtedly done loads of good to liberate women. So I, I want to make that point right now and redefine what a woman is. So, so there's equal opportunities in education, there's equal opportunities in academia, equal opportunities at work, all of which I'm in favour for, achieve, achieving the vote, equal pay, all these things, good things, right? But there has been things that haven't been so positive, so certainly... Some parts of the feminist movement have fostered a hatred of men. They've tried to downplay the uniqueness of women and, resultantly, the uniqueness of men. And it's placed, it, you can definitely argue, it's placed a lower value on family, and in particular, the primary care for that family. So you could say, for instance, it's downplayed the role of a, a woman being at home with kids and says, well, that's not very good. But can I just say, I'm absolutely delighted, but my wife is the person raising my children, and I couldn't think of a better person to do it right now. I'm not saying that's possible for everyone, but I'm wonderfully grateful to God that he's enabled us to do it that way. But I don't see that as a bad thing. <laughs> I see it as a, as a wonderful opportunity that God's given both of us for that to happen. So the problem is that while femininity and in the church has been redefined, uh, and in some ways we, we actually look at this, so certainly within our church, what I mean, I, I want to say, you, Katie's not just submitting all the time in the sense that she's got positions of leadership. So she runs our evangelism team. She, she is the person responsible for setting up the evangelistic strategy of our church. She runs a small group. She is the primary pastor for women in the church. So she leads in lots and lots of ways within the church. And in the same way, I want to say to you women that there's much more you can do in church than you can't. <laughs> much, much more. And be encouraged by that. So... But what, what about masculinity? Well, I, I would dare to say that masculinity has failed to be redefined as maybe femininity has. So if I went up to the average woman on a street and said, what does it mean to you being a woman? I imagine I will probably get a fairly well thought out response from the vast majority of people. Say, well, what it means to me is blah, 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 blah. Would you like to come for a coffee? Okay, let's chat about it. If I spoke to a bloke and says, what does a man mean, mean to you? What does being a man mean to being to you? And they're probably going, mm, I don't know, do I play football, right? <laughs> and it's not good enough. And you'll get a couple of grunts and groans from the average bloke. And I know it will be different in this church because I've met a lot of guys here already. And I want to encourage you. You seem like really sound guys. It's really lovely to hang out. 
good godly men. I just want to encourage you today. We need to know the kind of men that God's called us to be. So as soon as we start looking at stuff like this, we encounter some immediate issues. So if I try to define behavior, I think, do I flick on? No, I don't. No, I don't. If I try to define behavior, like a fairly typical thing that you might see is, oh, you see, well, women are very nurturing, but men aren't, and they're providers. They like to go out and get. And you think, well, is that true? And then maybe you go on, you go, well, women are emotional, you see lots of women, they're always in tears, women always crying. Men, they're tough. They've got no emotions at all. And women are people-oriented. They're really good at having conversations with people, talking, engaging. Men grunt and can't <laughs> communicate. And, uh, and all they do is they go out and do a job. They dig holes. That's what men do, mainly. And, and then you can even venture into other things where you go, well, women are creative but men are just good at achieving a set of tasks on a list. Now, as soon as we start to do this, we, firstly, we begin to alienate both men and women because patently that list that I've just given is a pile of tosh. It's nothing about what it means to be a man. It's nothing about what it means to be a woman. So I might go through this and I might say, well, okay, um, actually... I know a man who's quite emotional. Do you know what? I'm quite an emotional guy. I'm not afraid to admit, when I got married and I saw my wife coming down the aisle, I blubbed like a little boy. Like my son blubbed sometimes. goes, ah, like that. Mouth open, eyes closed, tears streaming. It was ugly, right? <laughs> the woman was not ugly. <laughs> the man was. Right, I'm, I'm emotional, so I think, well, hang on a minute, is, is that true? Is that, does that change? Does that make me less of a man? Because I think that, and maybe you've, you've got a woman sitting there, and you think, well, actually, well, typically speaking, what they say is that, uh, that men are strong and women are less strong. And do you know what? If I was to have Jessica Ennis stood here, I'm pretty sure she'd have most of us in an arm wrestle. Pretty sure she'd cane a lot of us, wouldn't she? Does it make her any less of a woman because she's strong? And what I want to say is the characteristics of masculinity and femininity are not mutually exclusive, right? So when I talk today and when I make statements about men, women, please, please don't hear the opposite and say that's what I, I'm not, because that's not true. And do you know what I prayed for before I got, a, like, obviously you're going to hear part of my testimony now, is I actually prayed for a robust woman. Do you know why I needed a robust woman? Because I'm, I'm an absolute blimmin' nightmare. I need, <laughs> I need a robust woman. I wanted, do you know what? I really wanted a woman who was going to tell me when I was wrong. I wanted a woman who would tell me exactly how they feel. And do you know what? I'm never in doubt, <laughs> day by day, exactly what Katie thinks on subjects. So... It's funny when I hear someone saying, well, how does that mean in submission? I laugh because I'm just sitting there thinking about examples throughout the week where we've just had this kind of uh, this dialogue. But we're constantly in dialogue. And I, I want to say I'm, I'm privileged to be married to a woman who, who is <laughs> more than my equal. She is, uh, she is more than a match for me. And uh, it's wonderful. So men and women don't fit moulds, right? But there are some interesting things about the way God has created us that are common to all men, okay? So what I don't want is for men without big muscles to walk out of this room and go, oh, I'm just a puny person, I'm not really a proper man. 
load of rubbish. I don't want people to come up here and thinking, well, do you know what? I'm no good at sports. I'm not really a particularly good man. I don't want a woman, conversely, just to go, do you know what? Emotionally, I'm unshakable. Do you know what? I don't cry a lot. And I don't want you to come out of here thinking I'm less of a woman because of that. Let me be absolutely crystal clear. Those outworkings of your personality don't change your sexuality. What makes you a man and what makes you a woman is either the presence or the absence of a Y chromosome. That is it. So be encouraged. If you're a woman, congratulations, you are a woman. <laughs> you have achieved femininity. <laughs> it is with you already. And males, likewise, you don't have to drink 13 pints tonight to prove that you are a man. You possess, let me, this is where I'm going to get confused with science. Y chromosome, they do have the Y chromosome. Yeah, nice one. Excellent. I'm an accountant. I do numbers, not letters. Um, <laughs> Congratulations, men. You have a Y chromosome. You are masculine because that's the way God has made you. What, so what, what am I actually going to try and achieve to, today? Well, let me just say some things here. I think feminism has scored a huge own goal. Because what they've tried to do is they've tried to make women men. And firstly, that doesn't recognise the beauty and the wonder of what a woman is. But secondly, it's created men that are either so unmanly <coughs> that they're worthy of no respect and they're actually, quite frankly, useless. Or they're so hyper-caveman, but they're dangerous, arrogant and scary to be around, Right? God has got something much, much better for us. So this leads us to kind of, uh, kind of two major stereotypes of men. Um, and I, I think this, I've put this down a couple of slides on, but don't, don't panic, Ben. <laughs> um, the two major stereotypes is you've got this first man, which is the macho Rambo man. I, I don't really know how to describe him other than that. You know who I'm talking about. And... He's this guy who doesn't fear anything, he's tough, he's strong, but do you know what, when someone speaks to him, he's, whatever, I can do this on my own, I don't need you. He doesn't live in a relationship, he's a loner, he goes out to do courageous missions, he's got big muscles, his shirts barely fit him because he's so strong. Do you know what, this macho Rambo, Rambo man wouldn't be comfortable with the Jesus who wept over a city. He wouldn't be comfortable with the Jesus who saw crowds and had compassion on them. And then we've got this other man, which, uh, again, having been born and raised in London, you see a lot of these men as well. And I believe they're called metrosexuals now. Being up, being up north for a while. <laughs> but it might be the modern man or the, this, this man who's actually probably more fussed about what he looks like and, and how he appears to other people um, than anything else. Maybe he's, he's particularly interested in his appearance or he's particularly... Uh, bothered about what other people think of him, so much so that actually um, drives him to be uh, pretty, pretty unmanly and not be able to do anything. Well, this man wouldn't, wouldn't be comfortable with the Jesus who almost caused a riot by driving money changers out of the temple. What we need to do is get to understand Jesus, right? I just want to put something out here, right? But I'm going to say this uh, to you because I'm in a safe place and I can say it, and I'm going to trample on a lot of things here. So I don't know any of you. I've got people in my church who I sometimes think, I think you listen to Mark Driscoll more than you read the Bible. 
guys, let's not listen to, like, I'm not, nothing against the guy, I'm not saying this, but let's get in the scriptures, let's get to know who Jesus is, right? Because at the moment, what you're doing is get, you're getting to know what Mark Driscoll's like, which, yeah, he's all right and all the rest of it, but Jesus is incredible. He's awesome, right? And if you want to know, guys, what it, what it means to be a man of God, spend time with Jesus. Women, if you want to know, I want to marry a bloke who's good, spend time with Jesus. Look at him and start to look for the characteristics, the things that you adore in that man and look for a husband who looks like him. That's what you want. So how do I frame this? Well, I want to come to a point of saying, okay, so I'm not going to define characteristics. I'm not going to say if you're emotional, you're this, and if you're not, you're that. What I want to do is I want to frame it. What, what actually defines a man? Well, I think the Bible gives us good examples and bad examples of masculinity. And I don't think it is black and white in the sense that I think we need to get into those examples and see what it is to be a man of God. So... As you might have heard, we're from south-east London, so it's nice to see south of the, south of the river. <laughs> I was talking over breakfast with someone the other day. The, the definition of the difference between south London and north London for me is the north circular and the south circular. And sorry if you've heard me say this already, but the north circular, it's opulent, isn't it? It's just like this rainbow beam of dual carriageway <laughs> across the whole of it. And I was just saying, I lived in South London for, for 24, 25 years, and I still haven't found the South Circular. So <laughs> I, don't, I don't think anyone knows where it is, being totally honest. In fact, I've been driving on it, and it's disappeared. It's just gone. <laughs> I have no idea where it is. So anyway, that's the definition of the difference between North and South, I think. Yeah. Anyway, so... Living in South London, uh, a few years back, I had an experience coming back from a friend's house, a really good friend's house, at 2 o'clock in the morning. We'd had a riot, a really nice time eating pizza and watching films and all the rest of it. And I was driving home at 2 o'clock in the morning. It was a weekend, don't worry. I wasn't, I wasn't going to do accounting the next day. I wasn't, so <laughs> it wasn't a school night. And um, as I was driving around, I went onto a dual carriageway in South London. <laughs> um, turned onto this dual carriageway and... Um, and then I saw, um, uh, I, I didn't know how quickly it happened, but I saw a van that was buried in a, a wall and a, a taxi cab that the whole front of the car was caved in. And um, obviously I didn't know how quickly this happened. I've literally just put a call around the corner. So I, I pulled over onto the side of the road. There were a few people standing around, and I thought, I'll, just, I'll get out just in case you know, they need help or whatever. And... Um, at the time, as Katie might have mentioned, I was probably about four stone lighter than I am now. And uh, I energetically leapt over the, uh, the, whatever they are in the middle, central reservation. Um, and uh, it quickly became apparent to me that, um, that this accident had happened not very long before I turned around the corner. So it maybe it was a matter of a minute or a minute and a half or something like that before I turned up. Now, a number of cars had stopped, and do you know what I encountered is, is I, uh, could we go back a slide, is that all right, if anyone's around? I don't know about that. I'll go, I'll go through it. The f I counted the first group of people, and I call these people the standers-by. So, basically, right, there was this horrific car accident, cars had been obviously going way too fast, a taxi had been absolutely spanked by a van, Right When I pulled up, I came and I saw this guy in a taxi with a steering wheel. He's a big guy with a steering wheel crushed up against his chest, unconscious, blood pouring from his head and struggling to breathe. Not good. 
really, really not good. Like the whole front of the car crushed on him. I still don't know what happened to him this day, right? And there was a couple of guys standing about 10 metres behind this taxi cab doing nothing, doing absolutely nothing. And I know people will freeze in panic moments, right? So I'm not having a go at anyone who's ever frozen at a panic moment or anything like that. Don't hear what I'm not saying, but these guys weren't actually, didn't look like in a much of a panic. They were just chatting to one another, going, oh, yeah, ooh, this isn't terrible. We had that accident. Yeah, yeah, it's really bad. Yeah. And I, I went up to them and I said, is an, is an ambulance on the way? Is a, is a fire injury on the way? And they were like, oh, I don't know. I don't know. <sighs> yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I said, was, has anyone phoned them? And uh, again, well, mm, I don't know. <laughs> so you get to this point where you say, I, I had to basically just grab one and say, you, here's a phone. 999, get them down now. Obviously, really urgent. Get them to come. So they're the first people. You had people who stood by. And then you had a second group of people in this accident. And as it turns out, um, from one of these people who saw what had happened, I learned a little bit later, there were two lads in this van who'd been pelting it down this 40-mile-an-hour dual carriageway at some ludicrous speed. Absolutely manic speed. They were in the bigger car, they lost control, hit this taxi, taxi gets absolutely spanked, they went flying off into a wall, but as luck would have it, you're high up in a van, you walk out, they were stood at the side of the road. And you had these guys that were completely reckless. So they had acted in an ignorant way, and uh, they, they uh, had, had caused this to happen. And then... Then what you had was, after we were stood around for a while, I went to the bloke in the taxi and just tried to keep it. I don't know anything about, I work in a hospital, but I don't know anything about how to help someone. But I knew someone being unconscious and losing consciousness in the car wasn't a good thing. So I was just um, speaking to him, keeping his eyes open, slapping him around the face until, you know, <laughs> all right, mate. <laughs> and until, um, until the ambulance crews arrived. But then what you said, as you saw this playing out, was actually what you had is you had the last group turn up, which was the menders. You had these people who turned up from ambulance crews, from fire engines, to rescue and protect people. And I want to pose the question to you and use this as an example just to say the biggest question I think that faces men today is how do you use your strength? The first group failed to use it. They didn't engage. They didn't take responsibility. They failed to take a lead. The second group uses their strength recklessly and to destroy and destructively. What they did was they just went out, didn't mind what anyone else was doing, didn't mind what the consequences of anyone else was. They were reckless. They used their strength destructively. And the last group used their strength to serve and protect other people. And I want to propose, and again, this is in some ways applicable to women, but I want to say particularly to you guys, I know this will resonate with you. I know you'll think, do you know what? I think about applying my strength res regularly. And I want to say to you guys, this may be the, the best example that you can think. Day by day, how am I using my strength? Am I using my strength in this situation? So you've obviously got these macho Rambo men, and ultimately this is um, chauvinism. This is exerting. Can we flick on to the next slide? Is that all right? Um, ultimately, the macho man, um, at the very heart of it, says, I am better. 
And the fundamental perversion of macho men is pride. So it might be that whatever a woman is, he tries to be the opposite. So he tries to be emotionally detached. He tries to be um, someone who doesn't engage on that level. He never wants to see anyone cry. He's the kind of person who maybe thinks it's a sign of weakness to kiss and hug his children. Maybe he thinks that's, that's a not a good example. Maybe this macho mind is, is someone who, who defines himself purely by what he does and what he achieves. Maybe it's that what he has means more to him than anything else. So it's competitiveness that drives everything that he does. He just wants to be better than other people. He just wants to have the best job, the fastest car, the biggest muscles. He wants to run the fastest, be the best, and do all that he can. Even sometimes, someone like that, maybe even their wife and their children, they're actually a status symbol. Maybe he's just got them because he goes, look how beautiful my wife is. Look how clever my children are. They're much more clever than yours. Sometimes they're harsh, intimidating, scary. Sometimes they wield their strength that God's given to them to protect and help other people to actually just prove how tough they are. Maybe sometimes people don't even want to talk to him because they're so in fear of what he's going to say, so in fear that they might come out of it feeling emotionally wrecked because he's so hyper-caveman. Maybe this macho man thinks he's always right, he barks out orders, he tells everyone else what to do, and at the very heart of it, this pride thing, which links into what Katie says, is a complete lack of ability to yield and submit to other people. Guys, please hear this, right? Jesus submitted to the Father. He said, not my will, but yours be done, even to death. Submission is a display of courage and strength, okay? And I want women to understand that as well. When I see women yielding, when I see men yielding, I think, do you know what? What you're actually doing is you're saying, I don't have to force my own way. It's a display of strength, right? Without it, none of us would be saved. Without submission, none of us would enjoy the relationship with Jesus, none of us would enjoy the relationship with the Father that we enjoy now. Guys, practice submission. Practice not being an idiot, macho man. So what about this modern man? And sorry for the descriptions of this, because it's not particularly great. And I'm not very good at personal grooming. So like, there will be a leniency to say, like, oh, you don't need to shower. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> which isn't what I'm saying. But maybe this person is really sweet. Maybe this person is actually really nice to be around. And do you know what? I encounter some people like this at work. And what they're like is they're like something to your face. And they will agree with you to your face. And actually, they know that Owen and I disagree. So they'll go to Owen and talk to Owen. And then, do you know what they'll do? They'll go, oh, I know, Owen, you're right. Oh, I know, Scott, you're right. And what it is, is that actually they've got no spine. <laughs> Never feels like they've actually got their own opinions. Never feels like they actually get anywhere. Maybe it's someone who, like, you know, pays the bills, works hard, but actually maybe in some way that it just feels like they're absent and it feels like there's nothing really gripping about them. And do you know what? We, we're, we're flooded with them in churches. And the reason why we're flooded with them in churches is because we're flooded with them in the UK. But guys, we need to know, right, that it's good for you to lead. 
it's good for you to talk. <laughs> it's good for you to have an opinion. And dare I say it, it's absolutely critical that you have passions that you will not waver on. Guys, people like this, modern men, sometimes they're completely absent of passion. It's the kind of person I get frustrated talking to for more than 30 seconds. Because I think, oh, there's nothing really gripping about you. What is it you're living for? What are you, is it just to be all right and to have a quiet life and all the rest of it? Guys, we need to be passionate. We need to be passionate about what God's done in us and passionate about what we're doing for his kingdom. The truth is, neither of these stereotypes define good masculinity as the Bible portrays it. And just as we said before, Jesus is so much different. The Bible doesn't give us a list. There's no mandate of masculinity. There's no, um, there's no def- definitive list of, of, of what a man looks like and what a man is. Interestingly, for women, there is a list, which is wonderful. And do you know why there's a list for women? I reckon I'm going to be very bold as to comment on why I think God put a list in the Bible for women. It's because it absolutely blows out the water what a lot of blokes think a woman should look like. You go to Proverbs 31, and my goodness, am I proud of my wife for being a Proverbs 31 woman. An excellent wife, who can find? She is far more precious than jewels. The heart of her husband trusts in her, and he will have no lack of gain. She does lots of things that you would not expect a really submissive, quiet woman to do. She considers a field and buys it without talking to her husband. (laughs) How dare she? Yeah? She dresses herself with strength and makes her arms strong. Do you not mean that her arms are spray tanned and quite skinny? (laughs) All right, she actually does stuff. And actually, she's not afraid to have a couple of muscles in her arm and all the rest of it. It's really, really radical. She opens her hands to the poor, reaches out her hands to the needies. Needy. Amazing. She manages a household. She looks after staff. She's responsible for payments. I had a friend of mine who said to me, I am the man, so I look after the finances. And I said, you are an idiot. (laughs) And the reason I said you're an idiot is because I work with women who are amazing with finances. And I just think, how arrogant of you. What a ridiculous way to view and put compartmentalise. You know what? There'll be marriages in here that look very different. There'll be Men that work after finances, there'll be women that look after finances, there'll be men who's good at this and women who's good at this. Praise God, he's made you different and he's gave personalities to dovetail together in beautiful unity. Isn't it wonderful the way God's made us? Proverbs 31, guys, can I just say, if your wife feels like she can't be that woman, you're doing something wrong. You need to liberate your wives to be everything that she can be in Christ. Husband, lay your life down for your wife. Do you know what that means? That means that you are primarily leading her in a way that is to her benefit. Do you get that? So Jesus laid down his rights, his privileges, what would be a benefit to him. He didn't go on a spa hotel holiday for two weeks. Instead, he decided to go to the cross for you and I. He suffered scorn that wasn't his. He suffered punishment that he didn't deserve. He was spat on. He was despised. He was rejected. He was hung upon a cross and put to open shame and ridicule. Why did he do it? Because he was laying his life down for us. Husbands, lay your life down for your wives. Get this right. Being a leader isn't this wonderful opportunity to get your own way. Oh, no, 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 no. It's an opportunity to lay your life down and make your wife everything she can be in Christ.
Women, marry a guy like that. Marry a guy who loves you so much, he will lay his life down for you. God has taught me so much (laughs) about this. And I was saying, it's funny, when we read that letter together a couple of weeks ago, I cringed because I looked at it and I thought, I I would never say those words to you now. I wouldn't put it like that. And God's done a work in my heart of making me someone who knows what it means to have the privilege of someone submit to them. And the the great honour and the great burden it is, actually, to then know, actually, I know she's going to submit to me. I must leave well. I don't want to use my leadership for my own gain. I want to use it for the gain of the kingdom and and to honour and and love her. So the Bible gives us examples of this good masculinity and bad masculinity. Could you flick on to um, the next bit, please? Excellent. If you've got Bibles with you, I encourage you to open them. They're really good. There's lots of good stuff in there. This is one of my favourite stories, um, mainly because most of the time I think we um, focus on Jezebel in this story because it seems to be fashionable to to focus on Jezebel and the Jezebelic. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to focus on Ahab and what kind of a bloke he was. So I'm just going to read this out, and we're just going to pick out a couple of things out of it. So 1 Kings 21, verse 1. Now Naboth, the Jezreelite, had a vineyard in Jezreel, beside the place of Ahab, king of Samaria. And after this, Ahab said to Naboth, give me your vineyard that I might have it for a vegetable garden. Let's clarify, this is about a vegetable patch. Okay, everyone's got that. This is over a vegetable patch. Who's really passionate about vegetable patches here? Is there, have we got any? Right, okay. This is why, because it is near my house. And I will give you a better vineyard for it. Or if it seems good to you, I'll give you its value in money. Very reasonable. But Naboth said to Ahab, the Lord forbid that I should give you the inheritance of my fathers. And Ahab went into his house vexed and sullen because of what Naboth the Jezreelite had said to him. For he had said, I will not give you the inheritance of my fathers. And he lay down on his bed and turned away his face and would not eat food. But Jezebel, his wife, came to him and said, why is your spirit so vexed that you eat no food? And he said to her, because I spoke to Naboth the Jezreelite and said to him, give me your vineyard and he didn't leave it to me. <laughs> and Jezebel, his wife, said to him, do you now govern Israel? Arise and eat bread. Let your heart be cheerful. I will give you the vineyard of Naboth the Jezreelite. So she wrote letters in Ahab's name, sealed them with his seal, and she sent the letters to the elders and the leaders who lived with Naboth in the city. And she wrote in the letters, Proclaim a fast and set Naboth at the head of the people and set two worthless men opposite him and let them bring a charge against him, saying, You've cursed God and the king. Then take him out and stone him to death. The rest of the story is, that is what happens. I won't read on. So Ahab, his reaction is completely disproportionate to the situation at hand. What does that remind you of? It reminds you of a child. So I was saying to Max earlier, something along the lines of, would you like some orange juice? And he probably wanted milk. So obviously he just went, <laughs> and that's essentially what's happening here, isn't it? Essentially, this is something that just doesn't matter. He's a king. He can, he can buy another one. He just wants a vegetable patch near to he's, Got loads, it's like, well, I'll swap it for another one. It's not, it's not even a big deal, is it? What he is, is he's a boy. He's failed to grow up. So, interestingly, 
in 1 Kings chapter 2, we've got a precursor of this, and we've got David, who is described in the New Testament as a man after God's own heart. This is what David says in 1 Kings chapter 2 to his son when he's about to die. He says, when David's time to die drew near, he commanded Solomon, his son, saying, I'm about to go the way of all the earth. Be strong and show yourself a man. Naboth did not show himself a man. What he was was a boy trapped in a man's body. And what I can imagine the equivalent of this being is not getting your own way, rolling over on your bed and playing Xbox for the rest of your life. (laughs) Guys, let's not waste our lives being miserable, fed up, bitter and twisted idiots who waste our lives playing some stupid console. Playing consoles isn't bad. (laughs) It's really not bad. But so much... So there's so much in this world that can make you escape out of confronting real situations. And guys, please, don't waste your life on an Xbox while life is going on. Engage in life. What Naboth did, his first sin, was to roll over and do now and go, oh, I can't be bothered. Guys, let's not do that. The second thing he does is he absolves responsibility. So in Genesis... Three, we see the first man who failed to take responsibility. And this will be familiar to many of you. Verse 12, this is the first response that the man has. Once uh, Eve has given him the apple and he's eaten the apple and God turns up and says, hang on a minute, what's going on here? This is what the man says. The man said, the woman whom you gave me I don't even need to go on, do I? The answer is, uh, not, it's not my responsibility. I get it at work all the time. I get really fed up with, I don't know if people work in office environments, but you get these absolution of responsibility emails, is what I'd like to call them. <laughs> like, basically, I'm sending you this just so you know that I'm not responsible when it all goes wrong. <laughs> and, guys, we cannot be those who sit back and say, if it all goes wrong... It's nothing to do with me. We have people who sit in churches like this. And again, I, I don't know any of you, so I, I don't, I'm not speaking directly to anyone. I don't know any relationships right. But I know so many armchair church managers. It's like, it's like fantasy football for the Telegraph. You kind of sit there and you think, oh, well, I wouldn't, I wouldn't play that person there. I'd put Ronaldo in, in there. And, oh, you know, they did that 15 two minutes too long and blah, 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 blah. And do you know what? It takes a huge amount, a measure of courage for these guys to lead you. It does. And I honour them for doing that. Because I know what it feels like. I do. And it takes a huge amount of courage to do that. One of my favourite quotes is from Theodore Roosevelt. And he said, it is not the critic who counts. It is the man who's in the arena, whose face is blooded and marred. And it goes on to talk about, even if he fails, at least he did it whilst daring greatly. And it goes on to say, at least he wouldn't be with those cold and timid souls who knew neither victory nor defeat. If you're an armchair manager in this church, you're not knowing either victory or defeat. You're just sitting back. Guys, right, start taking responsibility. If you're not, I know many of you will be, and many of you will be really positive in this, but, right, where can you serve? (laughs) 
Where can you help? Where can you be a pillar? Maybe you earn a lot of money. Do you know what? You might sit here and go, do you know what? My ministry is going to be to support this work absolutely courageously and excellently. I'm going to apply all my strength to give him what I can to make this amazing. Maybe there's heroes in here that week after week after week after week set up. Can I just say, don't tire of it. Carry on doing it. You're, what you're doing is you're courageously applying your strength. You're not sitting back and going, man, that's not very good. Ahab absolved all responsibility just as Adam did. And let me put it in the perspective of Jesus. Jesus did not absolve responsibility from that which wasn't his own. He took responsibility and went to the cross and took responsibility in many other places as well. So guys, let's not be boys. Let's take responsibility. And then last of all, when you look at the whole story together of Ahab and Jezebel, what, what he does is he, he fails to lead at every juncture, so much so that it's actually difficult for me to pick a verse. <laughs> because actually what he does is he just fails to lead in, in anywhere whatsoever. So he absolves responsibility. Even when Jezebel says that, he doesn't say anything back. Even when they go away, proclaim a fast, he knows what the plan is, he doesn't say anything. He doesn't do anything, he just lets it all happen. He never leads, he never says no, he never says anything else. So what he does is he fails to lead himself, let alone other people. And do you know what we're, we can sometimes see in church is, is guys, we, we can be people who, who don't lead themselves well in terms of... Uh, their devotions. So maybe you're sitting here as a guy today and you go, oh, do you know what? I've never got to know the scriptures well. And I say this lovingly as a, as a bloke to you. Read them. <laughs> get into them. And do you, uh, the, the thing that gets me on this is that, that something, and I'm going to go into the nature of a man a little bit now, is that in Genesis chapter 2, when we're told of what the nature of a man is. Uh, it, it talks about this. It says, Genesis 2, I think I've got it up on the scripture. When no bush or field was yet in the land, and no sport of the plant, small plant of the field has yet sprung up, for the Lord has not caused it to rain on the land, and there's no man to work the ground. Blah, blah, blah. God made person. And what he did was he made the man to work the garden. Okay? And it's really interesting. When you read that word, work the ground, it's work to till, to cultivate. And what does that mean? Actually, as you, as you reflect on this, you think, oh man, this is so much like blokes are like. What it is, is it to make it better, make it bigger, make it faster, make it stronger. It's the reason why I can learn about mountain biking, as I have done in the last month, and I can spend hours on the internet finding out what the best equipment to have to go mountain biking is. I can't mountain bike. I'm rubbish at it. But somehow there's something weird and obsessive in me but wants to know what the best way of doing it is. I want to know what the kit is. And maybe there's guys in here who are really techie and maybe it outworks in your techie stuff. So you think, well, I can basically send a file from here to, I don't know, goodness world's where, and it can bounce back and it can go to 400 people and it will encrypt and decrypt and blah, blah, all the rest of it. It's this better, bigger, faster. It's this cultivating thing. It's even why you get some people who are just amazing at computer games. We had our church weekend away. What some people can do on computer games astounds me. I was watching a football, FIFA, my goodness. The things they're making these little characters on screens doing. And all those things are entertaining and, and fun and all the rest of it. 
But guys, can I just say, if you're going to go better, bigger, faster, can I put a new challenge in? Can I, can I say, why not better, bigger, faster relationship with God? Why not better, bigger, faster church? <laughs> why not better, bigger, faster serving? Why not better, bigger, faster love for your brothers and sisters? Why not better, bigger, faster giving? Guys, what we need to get passionate about is Jesus. Who amongst you, guys, is going to raise up on that Sunday when you think, oh, this is a bit hard and someone needs to contribute? Who's going to rise up and do it? When there's that outreach on on the Saturday and you think, oh, this is a bit embarrassing, I might turn up in front of someone who I know, which one of you guys is going to say, do you know what? I don't care. The Bible says I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God for salvation. I will not be held back from this. I'm a man. I'm going to stand and I'm going to fight. Guys, you need to fight. You need to have aggression. You need to have commitment, reliability, benevolence, and you need to apply it all in the right place. Guys, where are you using your strength? How would this church feel different if the guys in this church rose up and started shaking? Started going, do you know what? I'm not standing for this anymore. I'm not standing for the fact that the gospel's not being preached. I'm not standing for the fact that people aren't praying for the, the salvation of this area, for Brixton. I'm not standing for the fact that all these religions are coming in, but yet somehow Christ seems to be being pushed down and down and down. I'm not having it. I'm not having it. Who's going to stand up and take responsibility? Guys, are you going to step up? Are you going to move forward? Because I tell you what, when you start to do it, when you start to lead in that way, it is a wonderful, wonderful thing. Women, you need to do it as well. But guys in particular, sometimes, guys, we can look impotent. Sometimes we can look totally ineffective and weak and rubbish. Guys, there needs to be a bit of grr in our relationship with God. If there's grr, that grr is a good thing. <laughs> but it needs to be put in the right place. And guys, let's be passionate men. Let's know what we believe. Let's be men of faith. Let's be men who are passionate about tearing through the Bible and learning everything it has to teach us. Let's be passionate about submitting ourselves to good, wonderful, godly leaders like this and saying, guys, I want to serve your vision. How do I do it? How do I help you? There was one man in the church that I used to go to. He basically used his excellence uh, in, in academia. He was a consultant radiotherapist, and he was earning a, you know, a massive chunk of money. Do you know what he did? He said, I'm going to give enough money to pay for the pastor every year. <laughs> incredible at self-sacrifice he could have do you know what he could have had a bigger house and a ferrari but he said no do you know what my heart is for the kingdom that's where my guru is going to be where do you use your strength and i want to say just as i move on um, to my last point because i think we're struggling for a bit of time so what's the best of men i want to propose that the best of men is taking responsibility fighting for what is right protecting people, and submitting. Guys, we need to have that attitude if we want to be men of God. And I've just got the last few slides I've got. I just want to put these up. I, I sent a text round to a number of people in my church before I last did a talk similar to this in my church. And I sent it to women in the church. And I said, a bit of uh, market research for you. Um, men are at their best when... Dot, dot, dot. <laughs> And I got people to resp respond to me. And I, I want you to drink these in. 
I want you to look at them and drink them in because they're really, really profound. Men, look at these. This is what women want you to look like. Yeah? And women, maybe you look at these and you go, what, really? Men like that? So men are at their best when they are being gentlemanly. To me, that means offering their strength but whilst being humble. A gentleman has no space in his life for a massive ego. Next one. Men are at their best when they are happy and focused, i.e. fulfilling their God-given role as the head of the household, leader, working hard, playing hard, and having good, accountable relationships with godly men pursuing the same role. My husband at his best was the way that he selflessly looked after me during our miscarriage. Total Jesus-like leadership, with a beer and steak, obviously. <laughs> Can I just say, I know that, know that couple really, really well, and um, he's a good guy. The compassion, what I saw for a man that was broken, lots of tears, miscarriage, horrible situation. Through many tears, he led. And, you know, we need to learn, guys, through many tears, we can lead. We can lead. And this last one. Men are at their best when they're being present and involved in every area of life. I love being on Christian camps and seeing men interact with community, share jokes with other men, show affection to their wives, interact lovingly with children. Take responsibility in putting tents up, serving one another, getting involved in the cooking and doing the dishes. There is a joy, laughter and leadership when men are in the thick of the action. And that is so very precious. It's really, really profound, isn't it? I was uh, somewhat, there was lots more as well, uh, overwhelmed with the profundity of, of what was being raised. <laughs> Uh, that, that one was from Katie. <laughs> I, hope, I hope you've not heard what I haven't said today. Women, so many of these things totally apply to you as well. But guys, I know you know it deep down in your soul. God's made you a certain way, and it's to have a bit of gear. It's to know where to use your strength, and it's to do it in a way that doesn't, isn't reckless, doesn't bring people down, but builds people up. So often we can withhold from applying strength in situations, make the difficult phone calls, do the tough thing. If it's hard, it's probably right. That's what I've learned time and time again. But you know what? God keeps on knocking the door, so do it quickly, because otherwise you have to deal with it later. If it's hard, it's probably right. Guys, when you're knackered, keep going. Do it. Discipline yourself. Say, go that extra mile. Go, do you know what? There's still stuff left in the tank. I can still go. Even when you're absolutely exhausted and you feel you have totally ruined, still more righteousness, still more goodness, still more strength that you can give that will serve, protect, encourage, and love other people. Shall I pray for us? Yeah, God, we, um, we, we love you. We love Jesus. We love how beautiful he is. Lord, I thank you with all my heart that you submitted to the Father. Lord, and you laid your life down for me. Lord, I thank you, and I don't know why you love me so extravagantly. I don't know why you even care about me, but Lord, what a privilege to be loved by you. And Lord, we want to say, Lord, within church, Lord, we want, Lord, men and women to be all they can be in you. Lord, we want to be men and women that truly reflect the beauty of what you've created before everything fell and everything went wrong. Lord, let us be a representation. Lord, let us be a demonstration of your glory to the world. Lord, let us be men and women, Lord, who courageously live like you. Lord, amen.